Genesis chapter 39, Genesis chapter 39. We started our study as looking at Joseph as a man of character, which really the whole story about Joseph is, is that subject. He is the man of, a man of character. Then we looked at Joseph as a man of privilege because he found favor in God's eye. God blessed him. He had the coat of many colors. His dad you know, uh, made him overseer of the family, so he was a man of privilege. He was also, was also a man of persecution because of God's favor and God's choosing him uh, to carry out his word and his will. Uh, his brothers persecuted him. Um, they didn't like that. And so we, we've seen the, the progression or digression, however you want to look at it. Now that privilege and that persecution has led to him now being a slave. Now, you might be saying, what happened to chapter 38? Because we went to chapter 39. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 tonight. Well, chapter 38, I'm going to give you a brief uh, look at chapter 38. And we're not going to go through it, because if it was, we were doing a Bible study, we'd go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But because we're in a character study, chapter 38 is the story of Judah and Tamar. And when you read it, because, you know, we go from chapter 37 to chapter 39, and they flow. But when you get to 38, Joseph's kind of left out of the picture. So it looks like the story, uh, 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 the story of Judah and Tamar seems out of place, like it doesn't belong here in the story of Joseph. But what's going on in chapter 38 takes place during the time of Joseph's story. Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him. And, he, and 30 years old when he was raised to the throne, which gives us 13 years between that 17 and, and, and age 17 and 30. So when you add the seven years of plenty and the three years of famine, you have 23 years before things were made right with his brothers. And that's plenty of time for Judah here in chapter that's in chapter 38. It's plenty of time for Judah to marry, to have three sons, bury two sons, a wife and getting fall involved with this woman named Tamar. If Judah's marriage had taken place before Joseph's exile, you would have even more time available. So then why is the story of Judah and Tamar here in chapter 38? Well, first of all, it's for history. One of the main purposes for Genesis is to record the beginning and the growth of the family of Jacob, who was the founder of the 12 tribes of Israel. And when the Israelites went to Egypt, they were a large family. And 400 years later, they left Egypt a large nation, from a large family to a large nation. And since the tribe of Judah is the royal line from which the Messiah would come, anything related to Judah is important to the story in Genesis. Without chapter 38, you would wonder why Tamar and Perez is in Jesus' family tree. We see them in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, in the genealogy. Perez was an ancestor of King David, so he was an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Second, we see the story of Tamar and Judah here in chapter 38 for morality. Morality. This chapter, chapter 38, also has some practical values. First of all, it shows how dangerous it was for God's people to be in the land with the Canaanites, heathens. There was always the temptation for them to live, for God's people to live like their neighbors instead of like people, the people of God. 
And we see that warning throughout the New Testament that we're not to be friends with the world. We're not to be like the world. We're not to, you know, again, have anything to do with it in the sense that we're a part of it. Because it's always a temptation to live like the world instead of living like the people of God. And there's also an obvious difference between Judah and Joseph. Joseph refused to get involved with Potiphar's wife, as we'll see um, later on in our story. Um, Also, but Judah casually slept with a strange woman that he thought was a prostitute. All right? Um, We also see the continued reaping in the family because of deception. Jacob used a garment. We saw this last time we were together. Jacob used a garment to deceive his father Isaac. And Judah and his brothers used a garment to deceive Jacob. So now in chapter 38, Tamar used a garment to deceive Judah. And again, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. And then thirdly, we see the covenant family in chapter 38. Judah got himself into trouble when he separated himself from his brothers and he started to make friends with the Canaanites, the heathens of the land, in the land. And like Samson, Judah saw a woman that he liked and he took her to be his wife. Both Abraham and Isaac had been careful to make sure that their sons didn't marry women of the heathen land. And that was so that the covenant family... God's people wouldn't be polluted with idolatry and immorality. Jacob's brothers were doing things that their father disapproved of. But Jacob was still safer with them, his brothers, than with the people of the land. Because at least their presence reminded Jacob that he was a child of the covenant. And then we see chapter 38 here as a a story of grace. The story of the patriarchs in Genesis reminds us of the grace of God and his sovereignty in human life. The men and women who played a part in this really important story, they weren't perfect. And some of them were deliberately disobedient. And yet we see the Lord use them to carry out his purposes. Again, a picture of his grace. And so now we need to understand just because God used them. Even though they were disobedient, deliberately disobedient, just because God used them, it doesn't mean that he approved of their sins because their sins were eventually exposed and judged. But because God did use them, it does mean that God can take weak things, the weak things of this world like us and use us to carry out his purposes. So now, let's get back to the story of Joseph. Let us read in chapter 39, verses 1 through 12. And it begins. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him, that is Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing... Of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. 
Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. That she, was, that, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Line with, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and ran outside. So here we see, in verses 1 through 12, here in chapter 39, the history of Joseph is taken up again. And what happens to him through the next few chapters takes place while chapter 38 is happening. So when Joseph gets to Egypt... He was then sold as a slave by the Ishmaelites who had bought him first from his brothers. Now, keep in mind, now, this whole story of Joseph, again, was the work of the sovereign God. What all that happened to Joseph was not a mistake. It wasn't a stroke of bad luck. It wasn't that the stars weren't aligned. It wasn't that he was carrying his lucky rabbit's foot or lamb's foot or whatever it might have been. It had nothing to do with luck or, 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 or circumstances. It is all, again, the sovereign of God, all planned and arranged by God. In the story of Joseph, God's sovereignty is what stands out most in the whole story. Again, in verse 1, let's look at verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer, officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Potiphar, he was a high official in the Egyptian government. He was an officer of Pharaoh. He was the captain of the guard. He bought Joseph for a slave. Potiphar's job now, or, or Potiphar's job, was to watch or oversee the protection of the king. And Potiphar was to supervise the punishment of anyone or those who happened to get on the wrong side of the king. So anyone that was working for Potiphar would be in a position where he would easily become aware of the do's and the don'ts and the ins and the, and the outs of Egyptian government. And this would be needed for somebody who was going to be working in the high office of government, and that would be Joseph one day in the future. You see, God was carefully putting Joseph in those places he needed to be to take that high official office of the government. God was carefully training Joseph for future service. And even though at the moment, Joseph's situation was looking pretty bad, a slave. It was looking pretty hopeless and unpromising for Joseph being a slave. And again, yet everything that Joseph would go through was wonderfully designed and arranged by God, his guiding hand, all for Joseph's benefit. Remember, all that God does for us is for our benefit. 
Though we may think it's strange and it may not seem like it. Well, how's this going to benefit me? But again, we have to trust God and, and trust his infinite wisdom. And later on, when Joseph was raised to the high position in the Egyptian government, everything that he did, he did with great efficiency and he did it so right from the very beginning. Again, this wasn't a stroke of good luck. It wasn't an accident that just happened to turn out well for Joseph. All along, it was God's guiding hand that put Joseph in a place where his purpose to serve was appropriately developed during those many years of adversity, the difficult times that he went through. It's the same with David, King David. David was to be the next king of Israel after King Saul. David was running from King Saul for about nine years or more. Could you imagine? He said that he was just keeping one step ahead of death. He was just barely staying ahead of Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. But through it all, God was developing David's character to be a king. To learn what to do and what not to do. And for those who might be maybe tonight or even who might be watching... For those who might be right now going through some persecution or some affliction, which could be an illness or, or, or something other than, than persecution. You know, if you're going through something like this tonight, you should really be encouraged when it comes to circumstances that you have no control over. You shouldn't fret for your life. You shouldn't be you know, moaning about the bad breaks. Nor should you react so foolishly to the adverse conditions you might be experiencing and, and, you know, and, and plan some kind of a retaliation you know, uh, against who, who might be responsible for what you're going through. You know, that, that might be caused by their evil doings. But those who are afflicted, look at your situation as a school. A school that divine providence has enrolled you in for your good. It's not a school that we would sign up for. If God said, hey, I'm, 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 I'm having now sign up time for, for the school of affliction. Who wants to join? Wouldn't be one that we would volunteer for, would it? That's why God many times brings affliction upon us to teach us the things of God. It teaches about how faithful his word is. It teaches about how true his word is. It teaches us how God answers prayer. It teaches us how powerful he is, regardless of the circumstances that you might be in. And it proves everything that we need to know about God. And like I said, sometimes he has to bring it upon us in order for us to learn because we don't want to go through the the difficulties. But those who graduate from the school of affliction, hey, God will use you in high places. Joseph's job now is one of a slave. Think about that. He went from a a promising position in his home. He had the coat of many colors that said he was the, 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 the family organizer. He was the overseer of the family. He's now a slave. He's in a humiliating position of a slave. He's, he's in a sense, received a demotion, if that's what you want to call it. In reality, it's a promotion. But when you're going through it, man, it's a demotion. It's humiliating. From his position as overseer of the family, the man with the the coat of many colors is now lowered to a position of a slave. But again, God's guiding hand was involved all the way in this humbling of Joseph. It wasn't a mistake. 
One of the things that's required in the school of affliction, in God's school of affliction, is humility. Humility. It's a prerequisite. It's a required class in the school of affliction. You see, God is not only developing Joseph's ability here for future service, but he's also developing Joseph's character for, for his future service. He's developing his ability and his character for the position that he would hold later on. Character to God is so important. Character is a very basic characteristic for service, even more than ability, especially in the service of God. And God goes to great lengths to develop character in those that he would put in high places. And one of the best things to help character is humility, lowliness. Solomon said in Proverbs 15:33, before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. That is, before God honors, he first humbles. This humbling doesn't necessarily mean it's due to something in your past. But it's more of, re- of a requirement for your future. Because high positions, they're filled with dangers, probably more than anything else, pride. Because when you see people get, people get promoted to high positions and big titles, guess what? Their head goes, Psht. they get puffed up. They become power hungry. They, they, you know, they're, they're, they're somebody. One of the best ways to cure pride or to ward off pride is a serious case of humility in advance. Joseph is going to be promoted to a very high position in the Egyptian government, to the second highest position in the land later on in his life. God is preparing him now, here, for that position. Not only in his capacity to serve, but more importantly, in the character that he's going to need in order to serve well. So God's guiding hand puts Joseph in a very lowly position in order to develop that character that he needs. Just like the lesson about capacity, this lesson about character should be a a great encouragement to those who are living and serving right now in very humble or difficult situations. If a man of Joseph's stature experiences experiences character training through being uh, humbled, you know, through lowliness, then for sure we shouldn't uh, expect to be exempt from this kind of training. And we shouldn't let a lowly position that's focused on us discourage us. We shouldn't, again, let a lowly position that's forced on us discourage us. Discourage us to the place where we give up and we quit. We might feel in our loneliness that nobody knows where we are. Nobody cares. Nobody knows where we are, what we are. We, and and it, might be, it might be in a place where you say to yourself, I have no, I have no way of showing anybody you know, who I am or what I can do. I'm in no position to improve myself. Because you think others need to see what you are and what you're doing. But that's not at all the case. In being a slave, Joseph was about as low as a person could get. But you know what? God knew where he was. That's what we always have to keep in mind. God knew where he was, and that was all that really mattered. 
Joseph had the same, I'm sorry, Job had the same problem in chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. Remember when Job was trying for, to, to get God to answer his question, you know, why am I going through this? What did I do? Have I done something? And God wasn't near to him. Or God, Joseph, Job said, I, I can't see God. I don't know where he's at. Job said this in 23, chapter, chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. Job said, look, I go forward, but he, speaking of God, he's not there. I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. And when he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I can't see him. But here's the critical point. Job says, but he knows the way that I take. That's all that matters. I look to the left, God's not there. I look to the right, I look to the front, I look back. I can't see God, but you know what? He knows where I am. He knows where I'm going. He knows the situation that I'm going through. And because at the right time for Joseph to be raised up, God had already arranged all the circumstances so that Joseph would be noticed by all the right people. It's not that you want to be noticed by everybody. You want to be noticed by the right people. And God placed Joseph in a position for all the right people to see Joseph. So here's the thing. Don't let the lowliness of your job or of your esteem, you know, by the world or lack of esteem by the world, discourage your spirit. Let it train you. Let it prepare your character for greater work ahead. That's what Joseph did. And we need to do that as well. And this training of Joseph through lowliness shows that God may lower the position. He may lower our position. He may lessen our possessions in order to strengthen our character. Because a lot of people lean on their position because it may, it may be good money. They lean on the things that they own. They, they, they lean on their material goods. You know, they, they trust in those things. God wants us to lean upon Him. 100%. And that's what God did. And that's what He will do. He will, he will lessen our position. He will lessen the pos- our possessions in order to strengthen our character. And this for sure disproves the philosophy that we have in our day, which supports removing the hindering circumstances in order to lift the character. In other words, we need to remove the, the, the circumstances in people's life that will, that will help them to live better, that will help them to change their character. And this is often the philosophy behind every inner city renewal and welfare. It's the thinking that says, hey, if you give a man better clothes, more money, a higher position, then he'll be a better man. It's not true. It may work for some, but not the majority. That's a bunch of just baloney philosophy. All you've done is put Skid Row in a new suit. We've seen that try that with those that, that, that are homeless. We're going to put them up in a place. We're going to provide, provide all of this, these nice things for them. And it's going to get them off the street. And it's going to change their lives. They don't want it. They want to be out there. They want to be doing their own thing. Doing their drugs. And, and again, not everybody. Not everybody. But most. Wallace. They don't want that. It doesn't change their life. Only Jesus Christ can change your heart, thus changing a life. Look at the prodigal son. 
He left the love of his, of, of, of his father. He left a lovely home because he didn't want to live under the father's rule. And what did he do? He went out. He partied with his inheritance. He was out there with his buddy living high in, the, well, in his eyes, high on the hog <laughs> until he started eating with the hogs. But he realized now that, man, I messed up. I had it good back at home. Now, if you would have had today's so-called progressive helping the prodigal son, he never would have gone back home. He would have never gone home and made things right because they, 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 kept him, they would have kept him going in his, his penniless and homeless situation. He'd have stayed in that pig pen. You just, you just sophisticated evil. You didn't stop it. Man needs a new birth more than a new environment. See, the problem is, it's not the geography. It's that we take the problem with us wherever we go. We're the problem. A materially good circumstance. Now, there's nothing wrong with having things. You know, things, God blesses us with stuff and things. That's wonderful. Those things are not wrong. But it will not create character either. Divine providence, God's guiding hand, even though it's very painful sometimes, was profitable for Joseph and it was profitable for the prodigal son. Because when he started going hungry and he didn't have a place to say, he thought, you know what, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to apologize to my father and I'm going to say, Dad, whatever you want me to do, I will do. You see what happened to his heart? When he was left to himself, he went home. He straightened out. He said, Dad, I'm willing to do whatever. Today, you know, again, you, 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 you give them the things that they're looking for. They, they don't change. They just feed into that. They don't, they don't change. They just, they just feed into it, and, they, and it keeps going. It doesn't stop. It doesn't change. It developed Joseph's capacity for service and his character for service. And as a result, Joseph was well-equipped for the high position when it came time to take on his heavenly assigned duty some years later that God was going to give him. And in the way that Joseph performed his duty as a slave, it's very commendable. It was praiseworthy. His behavior was above reproach, and he gives all of us a lesson on how to act on the job. And how it benefits us and all who are involved when we act properly. First, we see the wisdom of Joseph. Notice verse 4. Look what it says in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then, notice, Potiphar made him overseer of his house and all that he had. He put under his authority. Notice now Joseph getting promoted. Why? Because Potiphar saw that what he did, he did well. So we see the wisdom of Joseph. When Potiphar brought Joseph home and put him to work, verse 4 says, Joseph served him well. Joseph wasn't lazy. He didn't take out his hurt feelings on Potiphar by doing a lousy job. Instead, he worked diligently for his new boss. And that's hard sometimes working for a boss that, that you know, is, is hard to work with. Though Joseph was a slave and he'd been treated wickedly, and should have really been a prince instead of a slave, it didn't affect his work in any negative way. He worked diligently. 
No matter what the job was or what time it was or, or no matter how unpleasant it was to Joseph. And the proof that he worked well is seen in, that, in the fact that he was promoted to overseer of Potiphar's house in verse 4. So the promotion not only says Joseph was a good worker, but it also says he worked better than all the other slaves. And you know what? As a Christian, that should be the case. We should be the best workers wherever we are. And I'll be honest, I remember back when I used to work, my old job, and I was a supervisor, some of my hardest people to get to work were the Christians. And I remember, to, oh no, you know, I, I, you know, we'd have split breaks. Oh no, I listen to my Bible study at nine o'clock. I, I, I don't want to go on second break. Hey, I'm sorry, this is, this is the break we need you to take. You know, we would rotate them. Then they get all mad at me because they don't get to listen to their Bible study at 9 o'clock. Well, you know, you're here to work. God's paying you to work a job. But Joseph, man, he outshined all the other workers. And that's the way we should be as well. The way Joseph handled his adversities was very wise. The common reaction when circumstances went bad, normally we act foolishly or we say foolish things or we do something stupid. Because our emotions get in the way. I don't like this boss, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. And we say and do something. And you know what? It's seen, it's heard. And so when you get your review and it doesn't come out as good as you thought it was, you got to remember, well, I remember how I acted when, and, and I remember a lot of times I did that. And I remember as a supervisor getting a review from a time from my manager. And it was low. And when he told me why, I remember I used to, I, a lot of times I didn't like what he said or did, and I gave him a hard time. And Well, I got what I deserved. But I should have been a much better representative of the Lord than that. But a lot of times we just, we get angry and we allow our emotions to rise up, and we say or do something wrong or silly. When the adversity, now when the adversity is sickness, financial problems, or we're mistreated, or, or something as simple as, you know, I might have mentioned that stubbing your toe, the normal reaction is to, is to curse. But Joseph didn't do any of these things. He served Potiphar with the best he could. And he did his, his duty diligently. One of the best remedies in adversity is to give others totally, or to give ourselves totally to our duties. Because it can make our circumstances better. It will lessen our adversity. Why? As we saw earlier, when Joseph served him with excellence. He served Potiphar with excellence. And it said that Potiphar made Joseph the overseer of everything that was in his house. But unfortunately, that's usually not the case. A lot of people don't give themselves totally to their duties when trouble comes. Some people unwisely, when they, when they go through these difficulties, they, they, they turn to alcohol or drugs or some other means of, of coping, you know, trying to drown their sorrows when instead it only makes things worse. We need to be winners and not whiners in tough circumstances. The wise thing to do is to do diligently. As we, as we see Joseph's example, we need to do our duty. The way we act to adversity will determine whether your trouble will cause or curse you or bless you. If we deal with our troubles and our trials with a complaining mouth or a bad attitude, we'll be defeated. If we deal with our adversities like Joseph did, we'll have nothing to lose. 
And many times it's not our troubles that cause us to fall apart. But the unwise way that we handle our troubles, that's what ruins us. Then we see the well-being of Joseph. Notice verse 2. Notice verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. God took care of Joseph. Why? Because what does it say there? The Lord was with Joseph. How many times in the midst of difficulties do we say, where is the Lord? Where is he when I need him? Here's Joseph in the midst of a difficult time. He's a slave, sold to a heathen country. And it says the Lord was with Joseph. And what was the result? It says there at the end of verse 2, and he was a successful man. Joseph did extremely well in his service for Potiphar. And Joseph's comfort and his good fortune in his duty as a slave was greatly improved by two blessings, two important blessings from God. It was God's presence in his life and the prosperity that he experienced because of God's presence with him. When Joseph got to Egypt, he lost a lot of what man thinks is important. He lost a lot based on the world standards of what the world says is important. Joseph lost his position. He lost possessions, he lost friends, and he lost material comforts. But the thing that he didn't lose, which is most important, he didn't lose the presence of God. And the presence of God does not depend on my position in life, but on the condition of my heart. And the key to having the presence of God is to want it. Do you want the presence of God in your life? So the fact that Joseph experienced the presence of God with him revealed the condition of his heart. It showed where his heart was. He said, I want God in my life. He wanted God's presence. But there aren't many like him. Many are just the opposite. They, they don't only want God in their life. They don't want him anywhere else in society. They don't want him in school books. They don't want him in government. They don't want him in the justice system. And you know what? God says, that's fine. Okay. You don't want me? He says, I won't force myself on you. I won't force myself on anybody. But they'll pay the price for rejecting him. And that's not where God's saying, I'll get you for that. That's not what it means when God says, you'll pay the price. It's just a natural reaction of what happens, cause and effect. You reject me? Well... You'll live, upon, you'll live on, the, on, on your own wisdom and by the dictates of your heart. And all you're going to do is get yourself in trouble. Nothing is more valuable than the, than the presence of God in your life. Moses, man, he was a great example of that. Moses valued God's presence greatly. So much that he said in Exodus 33, 15, he says, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses made his request based on the grace of God because Moses knew that the Lord was merciful and gracious and that the people were guilty. Lord, I don't want to leave this place unless you go with us. If God gave them what they deserved, they would have been wiped out. The Jews were God's people and Moses was God's servant. They didn't want an angel to go with them. Because an angel was nothing. There was nothing special about an angel in comparison to the presence of God. The thing that separated Israel from the other nations was that their God was present with them day and night, a a, a fire at night and a cloud during the day. 
Moses was a wise man. If Christians would value the Lord's presence as much as Moses did, they wouldn't go to to some of the places that they go to and they wouldn't experience some of the losses and ruin that they do. You know, God's presence can make a, a, a prison a palace and vice versa. God's absence can make a palace a prison. I mean, we think of, of, of you know, Silas and, and, and Paul singing praises songs at midnight. Not that it made that, that prison a palace, but their heart, man, it was for God. And they were praising God and they were singing out and the others in prison were hearing them and they had been beaten severely and they were singing praises to God. I mean, it's, it's, it's like every person in love knows that the presence of the loved one makes the, the drab and the dreary exciting and delightful. But the absence of the loved one, it, makes the, the beautiful, the, the, it can make a beautiful place boring. So the presence of God in Joseph's situation made slavery better than his brother's situation, even though his brothers were free. F.B. Meyer said this, Who would not rather, after all, choose to be Joseph in Egypt with God than the brothers with a blood-stained garment in their hands and a sense of guilt in their souls? The second thing that enhanced Joseph's life in his situation was God prospering him. First, it was God's presence with him that made him successful, and then God prospered him. And as we're reading about Joseph's horrible circumstances, it's hard to think of Joseph being prosperous at all. And yet we read in verse 2, That even though he was a lowly slave, that he was a successful man. Joseph Parker said, Looking at this case through and through, one would say, It is hardly correct to assert that Joseph was a successful man. When he was to all intents and purposes in bondage. When he was the property of another. When not one hour of his time belonged to himself. When he was cut off from his father and from his brothers. And yet it is distinctly stated that notwithstanding these things, the Lord was with him and he was successful. So obviously we can see God views prosperity a lot different than we do. We many times, the world defines success in terms of money, title, position, fancy cars, new houses, good job, prestige, early, uh, uh, um, earthly position. But that's not the way God sees it. He, used, he views prosperity from a spiritual standpoint. In verse 2 again, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. This verse, without a doubt, tells us that prosperity isn't necessarily related to a person's material possessions and position, of which Joseph didn't have much of either. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord told Joshua, The book of the law, the word of God, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Notice, keep the word of God in your mouth. Meditate upon it day and night. Observe what it says. Do what it tells you and you will prosper and you will have good success. In the life of the Christian, prosperity and success aren't to be measured by the world standards. These blessings are the byproducts of a life that is devoted to God and to His Word. Now, if you go out on your own, if you go out to pursue being prosperous and successful, you might achieve your goal. But you may also live to regret it because it's not all that it 
is said to be. The Scottish novelist George MacDonald wrote this, In whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. The questions God's people need to ask are, did we obey the will of God? Were we empowered by the Holy Spirit? Did we serve to the glory of God? And if we can answer yes, then our ministry has been successful in God's eyes, no matter what other people might think. What we learn from Joseph's experience here is that true prosperity is, is when God is with you. And when he's helping you do your duty with excellence. Your duty, it may be very lowly. It might not be a big position or, or a noticeable position, but God can still give you a good day on the job. God helped Joseph in so many ways in his work as a slave. That notice what verse 3 says. And his master, that is Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him, Joseph, and that the Lord made all Joseph did to do to prosper in his hand. The Lord, did, the Lord made everything that Joseph touched prosper. There's a lot to learn about prosperity. There's the prosperity of Joseph, where the poor are rich. There's also the prosperity of the wicked, where the rich are poor, according to Asaph. In Psalm 73.3. Remember the church in Laodicea? They were prosperous because they had a lot, of, a, a, a lot when it came to material things. Jesus said of the church in Laodicea, they, they, the people said, oh, I am rich. We have become wealthy and we don't need anything. God said, hey, you're poor. God told him in Revelation 3.17, you're poor. On the other hand, the church at Smyrna looked really desolate compared to the church at Laodicea. And in Revelation 2.9, uh, it says that they were experiencing poverty. The churches, Smyrna, were experiencing poverty. But God said, hey, you guys are rich. You guys are rich. So in closing, a person might be in Joseph's situation, might be in slavery or whatever lowly position it might be, and yet they may still prosper in doing their duty. While others like Joseph's brothers, hey, they were free outwardly. They were making good money. And they had a lot of earthly possessions. And yet they weren't prospering at all in their duty. Jesus said this in Luke twelve fifteen. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Life is not about the things that we can collect in this world. Remember that bumper sticker, the man with the most toys wins? That's a worldly philosophy. That's not God's philosophy. Jesus warned mankind not to become so taken up with worldly possessions because few people can handle riches well without destroying their character. Jesus' instru instruction in, in Luke twelve fifteen it's a warning about being covetous, about wanting the worldly things. And again, it's not, not, there's nothing wrong with them if you have them, if God's blessed you with them. But when you put them above the presence of God and the desire of God in your life, there's where the problem lies. It's a very strong warning from Jesus because, of the, because the danger is great. Covetousness is a sin, and it is an, it is a, it's an insatiable sin. Covetousness has an insatiable appetite. Hard, it's hard to fill. 
It has an insatiable appetite for worldly possessions. There's more to life than earthly possessions, and yet a lot of people are only interested in earthly possessions. A lot of people have money in the bank, nice houses, nice cars in their driveway, but they have an empty heart. It's only what's in your heart that you can take with you into eternity. Jesus made it clear that true life doesn't come from having a lot of things and neither does success or security. And I'll finish with this quote from Henry David Thoreau. He wrote, that man is the richest whose pleasures are cheapest. He also said a man is rich in proportion to the number of things which he can afford to let go. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful lesson here of Joseph, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that we would take heed, Father, the lessons that are before us, Lord. Father, we thank you for what you've given us, God. You've given us the greatest possession that, can, that man could ever have, Lord, and that's the Holy Spirit dwelling in our heart, God. This, the, the new birth, God, we thank you. Father, you saved us. You saved us from hell. You saved us from the world. You saved us from these things. Yet, we are in this world, but we're not to be of it. And God, help us and give us strength over the temptation of this world and the things of this world, God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for all that you're going to do for us, God. Lord, help us to, again, keep our eyes on you, Lord. Father, to, to take your word at face value, God. To not question it, to not doubt it, but to stand upon it, God. For you alone are worthy and you alone have all that we need. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.